Hello, my name is Morgan Gray, and welcome back to the Afrocentric Podcast. We don't funk with racism. We don't funk with people who don't support the LGBTQ plus community. Baby, we damn sure don't fuck with anybody who don't love a beautiful black queen, baby. You see this tape? You don't let nobody act black and then go home and be white? It only takes a little bit of white brainwash to activate the cool chip in the average Negro. And a lot of white folk have demonstrated eloquently that they don't have no sense. And we are back with the Afrocentric podcast. And today I have the probably the most best dressed co-host I've had in a minute. <laughs> One of the most intellectual beings I've come across in a while, Mr. Christopher B. Green. How you doing today? I'm doing great. Blessed to be here. And yeah. I'm so thankful that you're having me. And I'm just glad to be here with the Morgan Gray. Oh, this I podcast. Oh, listen, listen. Now, you have become one of my favorite podcasters throughout the next year. Like, your consistency and your dedication to this podcast have done tremendous work for people and for me especially. And just hearing you and learning from you is such a pleasure. I'm glad you're doing this. Don't, thank you. Don't make me blush and or cry up in your feet because I will do both. <laughs> Um, I appreciate that. We just doing the work for the people so that the people can learn and change from their wicked ways. That's what we want out this bitch today. That's what we need. (laughs) (laughs) So, um, I'm just going to let you introduce yourself briefly and then we can just hop on into the topic. Before you do, um, today we're going to be talking about... Well, the name of this episode is For the Souls of Black Children, Part 2. And it is an extension episode um, where we talk about black children, the education system specifically, how education affects children in poverty, as well as ways to redeem black children and black scholars. Yes, and um, go ahead and introduce yourself, Chris. Well, hello, everybody. My name is Christopher Green. I come from Vicksburg, Mississippi. Um, I graduated high school in 2019, salutatorian of my class. Um, I came to Mississippi State to get a degree in software engineering with a focus on cybersecurity, and I'll be graduating in May. Um, Upon graduating high school, I saw a need in my community for ACT prep, so I developed my own workshop and began tutoring and working with students one-on-one, hosting workshops virtually in person in my city and in different areas just to provide that uh, support for students around the city. Well, this beautiful Chris is very well articulated. So tell me why you feel so drawn to children, black scholars, black education. Because I think about my 
upbringing through the Mississippi public school system and the people that took the time to care for me and to make sure I had the things I needed and to get to where I'm going that I can only return that. And it's only in me to help people. I get that from my mom. She's a caregiver. Um, and I just think that the more access that we give students and the more opportunities, the better that we all are. I completely agree with you. And I think that's a very beautiful mindset. And I think it's a mindset that I wish more black men had. So let's start off strong. Tell us about your experience coming up as a gifted black student in the Mississippi public school system. Okay. Um, I was born in Vicksburg, but my family raised me in Port Gibson for a short time. I grew up around my cousins. It's a predominantly black area. The high schools, most of the schools are all black. Teachers are all black. So I grew up thinking, okay, I'm about to go to school, have fun, be with my people, you know. <laughs> but my parents um, got a job and began to do things to where we moved to Vicksburg. And I was placed in that school system. It was a shock to me, complete culture shock. Uh, I definitely cried the first day of school. Why? <laughs> I was expecting to be in school with my cousins. <laughs> I knew nobody in the city. I didn't have any friends. Of course, I had to just basically start over and create myself as this black child in Vicksburg. And, and it was a process. So when you say you went into a culture shock, what is like the statistics, racial statistics of like the makeup of Vicksburg the city? Um, when you look at Vicksburg, there's, well, currently it's a predominantly black population, but how the school system is set up, when you look at the high school, I went to Warren Central High School. You look at it as kind of like a PWI. Mm -hmm. Then we have the school across town, which is Vicksburg High School, predominantly black, almost like a HBCU. Mm -hmm. So there's a kind of a split difference mm -hmm. in the school system I was going through the elementary system on the Warren Central side, the county side, versus the city. Oh, they had you out there with the white folks. <laughs> you, you can say that. Yeah, yeah, I can say that. I just think it's interesting a lot when we think about how they integrated the school systems in Mississippi, because Mississippi was one of the latest schools to be integrated, um, how white people self-segregated. Like, they, like especially here in Starkville, uh, there's literally a academy right across the street from Starville High School, right across the street, and they self-segregated as soon as they integrated. So that's common a lot in rural Mississippi. I'm pretty sure it's common in a lot of different southern places as well, southern states. Mm -hmm. And it was such a shock to my people because I would go back to my grandparents' house and my cousins every weekend and them hearing how different I talked and how I acted and spoke because of the school system I was in and I would get picked on a lot for that. And I, just, I tried to take that in stride and know that uh, this is just a part of me. I can code switch. I can be who I am when I need to be where I am and be comfortable in it. That's beautiful. Um, so let's talk a lot about the gifted programs that are um, provided here at Mississippi. I grew up in a lot of gifted programs here at Starkville. We call them PEAK. Um, I also took um, accelerated arts classes all throughout high school as well as um, accelerated drama classes as well. So I was one of a few black students thrown in the mix. I also took like AP classes too and it'll be like four or five black students and then the other 28 will be white. So how was it growing up for you? Well, in my elementary school, we had Gates. That was the name of our gifted program. 
and I can remember getting a letter. I really thought I was in trouble. <laughs> like they sent home specific students with letters to take to their parents and I had my name on it. And I'm like, I don't know what's in this letter. I don't know what I did. What could this be? And my parents opened it and they were like, you, you're in the gifted program. And looks like your teachers have noticed something in you and would like to foster that. And um, I, I really love the program. I love the teachers that I had through it. Um, even from first, second grade, I think they, they really saw something in me that I didn't understand at the time, but I just, I loved school. I loved learning, and I just like problem solving, and, and the gifted program gave me so many opportunities to do it. Definitely did. Um, let me ask you this. So you were selected. They didn't have any type of testing for your gifted program? I think they did. I, I definitely, I got into my gifted program when I was in the third grade. That's when they first started offering it, and they tested for it, and I got in. Um, and I love the fact that you brought up the ways that it tests you, like, mentally, because I remember this one game we had called Snafus, where we had to, like, learn how to create 3D boxes and figurines out of, like, little things, and you had to do it together. And it's something that helps, like, build cognitive, like, repetition, helps with minor motor skills, stuff like that that other people don't have the privilege to be able to work with. I will say um, outside of just the gifted program, I can remember a lady working in my elementary school who worked with the SPED students. And even she kind of noticed how intelligent I was and she would pull my dad aside and give him information about future things like applying for colleges and making sure I knew the ACT and things like that at fourth and fifth grade. You know what? That is really fortunate. That is a privilege. As smart as I was, I don't think I really had anyone to pull me to the side and tell me I should go to college. In fact, like when I had made it to high school, a lot of people wanted me to join the military over going to college. And they they didn't think I was going to make it in college. So like I had, I had to make a choice on my own to go here. So, you know, that is a blessing. It's something I wish I had for myself. And when you think about it, uh, the Mississippi public school system, it grows us up to either be somebody's employee or someone's inmate. Yes. (laughs) It's sad. Um, It really is sad because I know people aren't really cognizant of like, my auntie always used to tell me the next four years of your life are going to determine whether you be, just like you said, a boss or you're going to be a worker. And it's so important. But I don't think that like Mississippians or Southern black people as a whole really have a good grasp on how important college is or with especially this generation because a lot of people don't even think college is important anymore mm-hmm. we'll get back into it though well back to gifted programs and growing up i wouldn't say i was I'm, i knew i was smart but i was more so hard working it was instilled in me to be hard working every summer my dad would hand me a book, the things your child needed to know before going to third grade, the things your child needed to know before going to fourth grade. And in the summertime, I played, I had fun, of course, but I always knew there was a time to work and a time to dedicate myself to where I need to be in life. That is nice. That is really nice. Um, So post high school, did y'all still have gifted programs or did you um, transition into AP classes? What what was the difference for your high school? Well, yeah, in high school, they did offer AP classes. And when I looked around, I was one of few, one of two, maybe. 
Um, I took AP Calculus. Um, I know I took AP History. And those classes were offered. I'm, I'm not going to say I didn't get a lot out of it. It did prepare us for college in a way and kind of got that in our mindset versus just regular classes. But I wouldn't say in high school they were just adamant about pushing the college narrative, especially to black students. Do you feel like you were competitive compared to your white colleagues? Oh, yes. I was very competitive. I, I remember in elementary school, I wrote a, a speech that I was going to announce in high school. I didn't know anything about valedictorian, salutatorian, but I'm like, I know from watching the movie, somebody gets on stage and makes a speech at mm-hmm. their high school graduation. I knew I wanted to be one of those people. And coming into high school, I had that plan in my mind, like, I want to be at the top of my class. I want to do the things that I need to do because I that's all I knew how to do from elementary school, getting awards and highest average. I wanted that to carry on with me through high school. It's nice. So when you were in these competitive positions and you were navigating through these places, do you feel like you had to work harder as a black student compared to your white peers? Most definitely. I felt like anything I did had to be above and beyond to be recognized and be appreciated in that fact because of who I was and because of how hard it is just to get through this school system and not a lot of people want you to succeed. It was a difference in elementary school fostering that young mind and so much love from those teachers and those people around me i felt some of that in high school but it was some fear yeah assigned with it as well because they knew what i had in my mind and where i wanted to go and i don't know if that scared people or made people weary or what but i mean i'm pretty sure a lot of people were intimidated by that like i i want to say i would be intimidated by that but i know i intimidate a lot of people like that because mm-hmm. my mindset is so much more advanced than where other people's are right. so i can see that most definitely and yeah just speaking on intimidation like i would get that a lot in high school um people don't know what i look like i stand at six three i've always been like six foot since junior high and a smart intelligent student who knew what I was talking about and knew where I wanted to go. I I could feel that fear people, that intimidated people a lot. Do you feel, okay, so like a lot of people complain about like how big children are getting now, especially with like the hormones people are putting into food and the way that like black children are being raised. Do you feel like that really affects education for students? Do you think that it can hinder students? Yes, um, especially when it comes to bullying. Like, we all look different. Some people are bigger than others. Some people proportions are smaller than others. And that could cause students to act out and maybe pick on students and, and outcast others because they are different. But when it comes to black children, we are special in the way we think, in the way we act and behave. And that has to be cared for in a certain way. What way do you feel like black students should be cared for? Um. I feel like there has to be more patience and consideration. I can remember in knowing in school systems, teachers are quick to reprimand a black student that's doing the same behavior as a white student, but it's like they're looking for that. And they're more quick to to say something or to punish that student than to take a step back and kind of understand who the student is, where they come from, what their home situation may be like. 
You really think a lot of teachers lack empathy for black students or do you feel like they just don't understand black students? Mm. Um, I feel like there's definitely a lack of understanding, but there has to be a choice you make if you want to take the time to understand and be a better leader for these students that you're serving. That's beautiful. What are the major issues in our education system? Well, today, I'll start with something like, I say technology has become one of the major issues. The technological advances uh, that classrooms require now to educate students. We see more Chromebooks, more iPads, and these advanced boards that the teachers have, and it may be hard for experienced or older teachers to keep up with that advancing technology. Like these kids know more about technology than the teacher. They in class on TikTok and doing all type of stuff that that these teachers might not be able to keep up with. And I think when it comes to technology as well, the lack of access to especially yes. students in poverty. Oh my God. So I feel like COVID-19 really revealed that to like to us in a huge way. So for those who don't know, I worked at the Boys and Girls Club as a youth director professional for three years roughly. And um, a half of my time I spent at the Boys and Girls Club was during the pandemic and post the pandemic. So we had to learn how to restructure our classrooms to accommodate and majority of the students down here had no computers, no access to Wi-Fi. Matter of fact, I didn't get my first computer, my first laptop until 2020. And then we didn't get Wi-Fi in the house for the first time until 2021. Oh, wow. Yes, because everybody, you know, everybody doesn't have access to the Internet as well as everybody's life is not tethered to the Internet. I feel like the way that people feel the need to, like, be on the Internet or that, like, they'll be hurt in some type of way because when the Internet crashes, what you going to (laughs) do? What? Like... And that... You know what? It's interesting that you brought that up because, like, a lot of me and my sister talk about it often. A lot of students struggle with spelling because of the internet, because of autocorrect. A lot of students have issues being able to tell time because they cannot read regular analog clocks. They can only read digital clocks. That is so true. A lot of students don't know how to count money because they're so used to dealing with credit cards. Like they say, and like you're introducing what would be considered these ancient concepts to them because of the substitution of technology. Mm -hmm. And it's not always the best. Right. And especially now with AI, like, Oh my God. I don't know. I don't know where we're going. No, um, right quick. So, um, chat by, GBT. Mm. That is the software that a lot of students have been using to write their papers for them. And you, um, I literally saw a video this morning about a professor talking about how 47% of his class used this AI technology and that the, um, it picked it up in the, um, system that they used to run it for plagiarism and shit. Mm. But just wait, because this technology is going to get so advanced, it won't be picked up. Yeah, it's getting scary. It's going to stunt education. It is. We think that these technological advances are necessary and are the future and will help brighten students, but it's hindering us in these ways that you mentioned. And on the topic of poverty and students not having that access, poverty is another big issue in the education system. According to America's Health Rankings, in 2019, black children younger than 18 who live in a household below a poverty threshold is 42.9 percent let me repeat that that's 42.9 percent of children under the age of 18 
in Mississippi live in a poverty-stricken household? Yes. Um, I remember I rode to school. I rode the public bus going back and forth to school. And I remember I live in the country. I Shout out to Bethel. Shout out to the House of Praise. But we would drive through the country. And I would literally see kids getting out of shacks. Like, mm. real life look like um, sharecropper shacks. Like, real broke down. I know that they didn't have at least electricity proper mm-hmm. to be able to get the stuff done. So, yes, it's so sad. And when you have students coming from unstable environments like that, it's hard to educate them when they come in without a proper meal or without proper hygiene or without that structure that you need in a student to succeed and what does that lead to punishment mm-hmm. a student comes in tardy what do they do go to the office they aren't allowed to sit in class anymore if they can't operate in class because they're hungry they can't focus what do you do you punish them yep and this just it's adverse to what we're trying to do and the progress that we're trying to make for students Chris, it's crazy that you said that because it reminded me of this news article that I saw about a week ago about, um, I want to say, Michigan or Missouri, one of the M states up north where there are a lot of immigrant students. So I don't know if you saw this, but there was a warehouse that got busted because they had a lot of school age children working an overnight shift at a um, meat distribution company. Really? Yes. So um, essentially they had children working overnight, cleaning the fucking knives and butcher knives and stuff and cleaning all the stuff to keep like kill and cut the meat and stuff and they would go into school so the only reason why they found out about this company was because um the children were in class going to sleep because they were working night shifts that's the only reason why they found out about it oh wow yes and like child labor laws are going they're starting to change and they're going to change because we live in this capitalistic society but people don't realize that child labor laws were put in place to keep this shit from happening like in the 1940s and 30s like it's scary to see it reversing itself and it's also see it's scary to see like how these companies are taking advantage of none not well represented students i like i'm knowing that these children were of hispanic latinx descent Mm -hmm. because they need that type of money and they're gonna hire them because they want cheap labor right it's just sad to me that hurts my heart to hear that If you want your children working with bone saws in a pile of animal guts, then Wisconsin might be the state for you. Recently, more than 100 children were found to be working in a Wisconsin meatpacking plant in clear violation of every kind of state labor law. No surprise, we did a story on this last week. The U.S. Chamber of Commerce is giddy. The association, uh, the uh, associated industry is giddy. Because we're bringing all these children across the border, right? What are we going to do with them? We're going to pay them below average wages because they're going to be working part-time. We're going to put them in situations where they can be maimed or killed, lose an arm, lose an eye, and we ship them back home. U.S. Chamber of Commerce, buddy, they love that because they don't have to spend the money going across the border. They bring them in from Nicaragua and Honduras, wherever, right? Yeah, and this is truly disturbing because when we had talked about this, we were talking about legislation that had been proposed to allow this. And then we turn around, find out a week later, uh uh-oh, this is already in practice, illegally in practice, but that shouldn't surprise anybody. And this company, this Packers Sanitation Services, which is a meat packing plant, 
and they own plants across several states, all of them with children as young as 13 working around these animal carcasses in unsafe conditions with tools they don't know how to use. They don't understand, you know, what happens if you lose an arm at age 13 because they can't process that kind of future you know, injury yet. Mm -hmm. and, and it's terrifying that this is happening in the United States, but it, it is. And I guarantee you this Packer sanitation is not the only place doing it. But fair, look, uh, look, U.S. Chamber of Commerce, I can't tell you what an ugly, ugly bunch of people these are. First of all, it ain't your mom and pop ha business down the yeah. road. We're talking about 19 of the biggest multi-global corporations in the, I mean, on the planet, Okay. So these are the people who run the U.S. Chamber of Commerce. So what they, when they, when we, the, when the media started reporting, oh my God, these poor children, we have to let them in the country. They missed the story. They, the story is U.S. Chamber of Commerce is not say, go Biden, go, you know, they're all behind Biden on this. They were doing it because now they don't have to go out of this. They don't have to leave the country and pay bribes. They don't have to engage in corruption to be able to, to manage workers, like child workers. Now they just bring them in the United States, put them in a meatpacking place, put them in the coal mines. Story we did, they were in coal mines. They were in every kind of mining business. They're every kind of meatpacking business. This is the way that U.S. Chamber of Commerce is they're delighted by, right? Yeah, it is. And you know, you and I actually did a story during the Bush W. Bush administration. Yeah. We haven't been doing this since HW, but we've been doing it a long time. So all the way back in the Bush administration, I remember you and I talking about Tyson Foods. And Tyson Foods, through the U.S. Chamber of Commerce, was directly influencing the, the W. Bush administration to do nothing about immigration, to continue letting everybody across talk about it publicly. Oh, we've got a crisis just like we hear every day now. But these businesses, these industries, the U.S. Chamber of Commerce, they control both parties. So that's why we hear politicians talk a big game about, we're going to stop all this immigration. They never will no. because their donors need this source of labor. Re Republicans won't stop it. And it's like Democrats don't have enough sense to know that they're getting hustled, that this is not about being humane. This is about feeding the U.S. Chamber of Commerce labor market. That's all this is about. But um, what is another major issue to you that is a part of the education system? Funding. Okay. Um, we have this school district in Mississippi has been consistently underfunded. There's something called the Mississippi Adequate Education Program. It started in 1997, and it's been consistently underfunded since 2008. There's been a House bill that has just went up recently that is going to adjust the is going to adjust the funding formula to allow our schools to be fully funded now. Mm -hmm. About time, <laughs> and and I think there's I think that's a step in the right direction. I think that's definitely going to help because when you have underfunding, you have teachers being underpaid. You mm -hmm. have teachers dealing with disgruntled students, and that leads to teachers quitting. Um, do you understand the way that funding affects schools? Like, do you want to divulge in it for a second? Yes, let's talk about that. Okay, so I don't think what people fail to understand is that the funding that goes into school is a reflection of the neighborhood in which the school is in. So if the school is located in a high-end neighborhood or surrounded by wealthier people, they'll have more funding coming into the school if it's a 
public school right. versus a school that's put in an impoverished neighborhood or placed in an impoverished state. Um, they will get less funding. And then you do have parents within those who are working. They're not able to put in as much time and effort. Mm-hmm. Especially in poverty stricken areas where your parents are working most of the time and don't have that time to care and to pay their close attention to the students or what's going on in the school. And when it comes to funding, the access to books and technology, like we mentioned, like a lot of schools aren't getting the same quality education as others in other communities. Like you said, those higher, more uh, wealthy communities have those opportunities, but it's not a, a level playing field. You know what? When I was in middle school, we had the old ass books. They was the binds was ripped out of it. You could see how many people and been in the book because you know they were leasing right names. It wouldn't even be enough slots for me to be able to write my name on it. That's how you know how old the books were. That's why I learned all the bad words. It yeah, <laughs> written oh, in the back of the book. So let me tell you, my name is Morgan Gray. Why they erased the R out of my last name and made me Morgan Gay? <laughs> Cause I fucking hate you, Starville High School. <laughs> I hate y'all. <laughs> you know, I think that it was so interesting that you were that we were talking about books because speaking of books, I know you've been seeing what's going on in the state of Florida with um under the care of Ron DeSantis and the banning of critical race theory and all these yes. books. Like, um, there is a fucking fat ass long list of just names and topics. Rosa Parks, what, uh, Neil Hurst. Look at these books that have already been banned due to Republican measures. The Life of Rosa Parks. This apparently is too woke by the Republican Party. Song of Solomon is, is unacceptable to Republican politics. 40% of banned books have report, reported are significantly addressing and specifically addressing LGBT issues. This Republican bill is asking the government to force the outing of LGBT people before they are ready. When we talk about progressive values, I can say what my progressive value is, and that is freedom over fascism. Thank Gentlemen, you very much. All these, like these great legends that are so unproblematic, banned, um, LGBTQIA books banned, mm-hmm. and it's so bad that the NAACP in Florida has put a travel ban over the state for people of color. Did you know that? I did not know that. They are telling uh, black people and people of color do not go to Florida, and I'm going to tell you the reason why, sidebar. So essentially, if you want to really hit a group of people hard, you hit them in their pockets. How do you affect Florida's money? You fuck with their tourism. Mm-hmm. So if you telling black people and brown people don't come here, don't spend your money, not just because it is dangerous, because it is extremely dangerous, especially with Trump there. And maybe by the time this airs, he's done got arrested and they done told the whole state of Florida up. But. Um, if you want to fuck with their pockets, don't don't tour there. So we telling all the niggas around the land, please do not go to Florida. Take your ass to the Everglades or the uh, no, nah, don't go to the Everglades. Go to the Appalachia Mountains. Um, you want a beach? Go to Gulf Shores, Alabama. Yes. Um, please do not go to Florida. Amen. NAACP in Florida has moved forward with plans calling for out-of-state visitors to avoid traveling to Florida. This proposal comes in response to certain bills being discussed in Tallahassee that the NAACP says are targeting some minority communities. 
Action News Jackson Nick Gibson is live on the South Bank. Nick, you talked to the NAACP president here in Jacksonville, and he says enough is enough. Yeah, he also believes that the travel ban could affect the economy inside of the state of Florida. And he also tells me that he believes this would stop politicians from trying to pass certain bills. The only way you can get the attention of those that are in power is when you hit them in the pocketbook. The NAACP of Florida came together this past weekend to discuss a travel ban they say could be implemented soon for the state of Florida. According to Jacksonville NAACP President Isaiah Rumlin, they approved a resolution about this ban to be presented to a national board within the next three to four weeks, and he believes the organization will go forward with it. Is that we will be advocating that people from other parts of the country don't visit Florida. Rumlin and the NAACP think this will have an impact on the state because of how much money it sees from visiting travelers and also tourists. We understand that if that happened, that will have a vast impact on the economic and the economy in the state of Florida. Rumlin says this plan came about after certain bills aimed at limiting African-American history in schools, targeting voting rights, and cutting advanced studies programs were presented. Action News Jax asked Florida Governor Ron DeSantis about this today during a press conference in Clay County. He questioned the reasoning behind the plan. This is a stunt to try to do that. It's a pure stunt. And fine, if you want to waste your time on a stunt, that's fine. Rumlin gave us his thoughts about the governor's reaction. Uh, we are serious. I think uh, once the uh, Dyson board approved the resolution, he will see how serious we are and what kind of stunt we are. Now, Rumlin also says no one is standing up to the governor, and it's about time that someone does. For local coverage, you can count on reporting from Jacksonville. Um, and then on top of that, gun violence in schools is yes. a major issue. We just had an issue today in Nashville. Six, three students, three teachers were killed due to gun violence was it a white woman or who it was they said a white woman they said it was a 28 year old woman she had two assault rifles one handgun i have not been confirmed on her race yet but it was a christian school yes now in Nashville. let's just say i want to say this from the top it's unfortunate that these people had to lose their lives but look at the location we are talking about Nashville, Tennessee, one of the highest populated white areas in the South. You're talking about a Christian private school, which is going to be made up majority of white students. And you're talking about a gun shooting done by a white person. Because we know this is, come on, <laughs> unmelanated, unseasoned. So when when you have circumstances like this, maybe we'll have the opportunity to see some legislation passed on this issue. Maybe, but I'm just wondering how many more is it going to take? Do you see how desensitized we are to this topic? Like right now, just talking about it. I've been forgetting that I was in a school shooting in 2015 when I first got here to Mississippi State. Really? Oh, baby, yes. That's another conversation for another day. But they oh, definitely had a school shooting here. And I was definitely on campus running for my life. Because my cousin was here. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Shout out to the class 2015. Because <laughs> we was out there skeeter weeding. We were getting on down. Um, No, it's unfortunate that it had to happen. But I'm praying that these circumstances 
will hopefully, because it's like white people don't see it unless it's brought to their front door mm-hmm. or unless the victims are considered pure. And these victims are young white children. They don't get more pure than that unless they got blue and blonde eyes and hell, you know? Mm-hmm. So gun violence, hopefully. Oh, they got this new technology out. So this man created a, um, you know, these whiteboards, the touchscreen whiteboards in the classrooms. Mm-hmm. He converted it into a classroom shield. So essentially, wow. it's sad, but it's so innovative. You can pull the shield out and you will tell your classroom and they can hide back there and um, no one would know about it. I mean, this convenient for the times we're in but i hate that that's necessary you also gotta ask does the school have enough funding to be able to be able to afford something like that Mm -hmm. to afford resource officers now and increased policing of our schools like where where are those funds coming from i don't know i don't know but we gonna follow the money Now learning more about the identity of the suspect in the Covenant Elementary School shooting today. Quick recap, the now identified 28-year-old Audrey Hale, who was a previous student at the Covenant School in Nashville, Tennessee, entered the school by shooting through a locked door on the first floor. Hale was later engaged by law enforcement on the second floor within 15 minutes of the initial call. Total fatality count now is three students, one of them eight, two of them nine, and three staff members, one of them being the custodian, one a substitute teacher, and one being identified as the head of school. By the end of the encounter, Hale was dead, making the total death count seven. Initial inventory taken from Hale on scene included two long rifles and a handgun and an undisclosed amount of ammunition. One officer was hurt from broken glass. Students were evacuated to another church by bus approximately two miles away. It appears that Hale was still a Nashville resident and law enforcement have set up a scene at that home for processing. Authorities have also alluded to writings left behind by Hale that may begin to lay out a motive. Authorities also state that Hale has drawn maps of the school and significant planning was put into the attack. It's not publicly clear yet how many years Hale went to Covenant. It does appear on Hale's self-reported professional profiles that after Covenant, years later, went on to Nasi College and pursued an education in graphic design. Hale also had self-reported to have received an excellent student award and academic awards from Nasi between 2014 to 2022. After Nasi, Hale reports to have been going into mostly freelance work, creating commercial illustrations and graphic designs. Many people have already began to heavily speculate on motive and the fact that Hale identified with the pronouns he, him. And that has, of course, led to a lot of narratives already being spread. Transgender issues and LGBTQ rights issues are in the news and politics even more lately, with many bills being introduced throughout local and national governments that we have all heard about. In turn, you can expect much of today's tragedy to be used for both sides of those arguments, along with the usual arguments we hear about gun control. What is known is that massive amounts of resources have been deployed into Nashville today, and more will be coming. Those resources will go through every single bit of evidence and life's records around Hale. And those pieces of actual evidence, along with witness accounts and footage, will ultimately be pulled together and try and decide motive. And that those are far more reliable sources than pundits and op-ed. So let me tell you about the school shooting incident. It just wouldn't be me without telling this story. So picture it, Sicily, 2015. I'm an ROTC cadet at Mississippi State University. And me and my best friend were in the um, OID building way in the back of campus like we tucked off in the back and my phone is ringing off the hook and i'm from snarkville so everybody that's local knows what the fuck is going on before we even knew what was going on my mama auntie daddy calling me they like are you safe i'm like i'm in class what's wrong they like you got a shooter on campus i'm like what 
so everybody getting these phone calls then the alarms going off and I, I guess if I had to be around a group of people I would probably be safest with the big white ass ROTC students and instructors so they, they we at the third floor at the top is tower and we gotta run like we running down all these flights of stairs and it's this big fat white guy and he's like directing the running traffic i guess so he at the door he telling us go 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 so me and keandre we lived in rice so we just took off we just running we getting it okay so as we running i see this poor little white baby she just broke her leg like a week or so ago so she on one of them handicapped scooters she getting it she just rowing and next thing you know this bitch done tilted over to the left and they, they ran over the girl they run over yes we kept going because it's my life or yours you should have been caught out here slipping in the middle of the shoe street so so we run and we get back the rice and um Class was canceled for the rest of the day. Did she make it, Lord? Did you see her again? <laughs> Fuck her. <laughs> I'm here to tell the story. Somebody gotta be here to tell the story later. And that's the truth. <laughs> I'm glad you're here. I'm glad I'm here too, you know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Sensational. Why are so many teachers quitting at a mass rate and how does that affect the education system? I believe that teachers are being severely underpaid and especially after COVID, we saw a lot of issues in the classroom with student behavior and the in, the increased maintenance to keep up your classroom and to to do think to get the things done that you needed to do, it it taxes our teachers now and they aren't getting paid enough to handle that and a lot of them are walking out okay so like when we first started hearing about the mass exodus of the teachers i think it was at the beginning of 2020 because they were going through severe burnout like mm -hmm. crazy ass burnout and i really hate that for them um do what do you do you feel like there are any solutions like what will we do once all the teachers are gone i feel like we have to find and hire younger new teachers that are committed and that are willing to to do the fight and we have to increase funding to keep these teachers here do you really think teachers are going to want to work in the school system where they could get shot and killed any day like i feel like we are asking a lot of teachers especially again in florida they telling them motherfuckers they need to start carrying guns mm -hmm. or their shortage is so bad that they are hiring um people that served in the military wow. it don't matter if you educated or not if you were in the military you can come down here and teach children a lot of what we see now after the pandemic are just long-term subs like there aren't even stable teachers in these core classes that we need now and that that is that's a disservice to our students it's gonna it's gonna get to a point where we gonna have to start homeschooling children like yeah. for real um, I think I heard it put best. They were talking about it's three different types of parents. And they were talking about how you have some parents who are really great parents and they're active. And then you have some parents who are working really, really hard. But when you need them, they show up. And they was like the third parent is the parent that wants the teacher to teach the education exactly the way that they want it. And if they don't, you're indoctrinating the students. Mm. And that is one of the main irritations 
sense. I feel like for a lot of um, teachers, especially like within the last two years, again, going back to this critical race theory where they have seen so many like possible things that could be going on. Maybe they're teaching my kid to be gay or they're teaching my white child to hate himself because of racism and they don't teach his asses. Mm-hmm. And that, that'll force a teacher out of a fucking classroom in a heartbeat. It will. And another thing on parents, it is up to them to step up as well. We see the stress that the teachers have and the non-active parent in your child's education process is hurting your child. Like, that's not going to help them succeed. We need parents that are active and that are making sure their child is doing the things they need to do at home to compare and keep up with their education that the teachers are providing. And I think that's very true. A lot of these students have bad as relationships or bad attitudes, and that is a reflection of their parents. And these parents don't have no respect. They have absolutely no decorum, and they don't know how to talk to their teachers, and that's why their kids don't know how to talk to the teachers. It all starts at home. I remember respect was one thing that was always instilled in me and my parents were active when they could be they were young parents and working hard to get me to where i am now and that's why i'm forever grateful for the things that they've done for me and and i feel like i had a great upbringing in that that's different because i have older parents my parents are baby boomers. They, baby, shout out to Berlin and Alsa, baby. <laughs> yes, baby. My parents are very much older. So, like, their approach to parenting and their approach to schooling was very different. And it's interesting that you brought that up because, like, my parents were not, if I, if me and my sister wanted to be focused on school, that was our decision. Mm-hmm. We didn't have parents. Not, it's not that my parents didn't want to help me, it's that they couldn't help me. They didn't mm-hmm. understand the material. Same way with the, now where the material that students are getting now they parents can't understand oh no like my brother i have a brother that's in first grade and my mom is at her ends with with what they're sending him home with like he can't understand it he can't explain it to her the teacher is having a hard time explaining it and getting them both to understand and it's it's not it hasn't been a good situation Mm mm-hmm In the name of parental rights, parents, send your kids out of the room or avert their eyes. What I'm about to show you might upset your children. It might frighten your family. So I'll give you a moment. Okay, are you ready? This is a 17-foot tall statue of David, made by one of the greatest artists of the Renaissance, Michelangelo, in the early 1500s. Arguably one of the most famous sculptures in the world. And yes, for the record, David is totally nude. Now, today, in the 21st century, a school board in Florida appears to be channeling that 16th century fig leaf campaign. A charter school in the state capital called Tallahassee Classical. The school began teaching Michelangelo's masterpieces to its sixth graders, meeting a school mandate to teach kids in that grade about the Renaissance. But one parent complained that the lesson, which included Michelangelo's David and the creation of Adam, along with Botticelli's Birth of Venus, that parent complained that the lesson was pornographic. The chairman of the school's board, who wants Tallahassee Classical to be on the cutting edge of DeSantis's education agenda, he said parental rights are supreme, and that means protecting the interests of all parents, whether it's 1, 10, 20, or 50. In this case, the interests of the three parents who spoke up about Michelangelo's scandalous masterpieces, that was apparently enough to force the school's principal out of her job. 
I think now is a good time to um explain what is going on with curriculum. So let me. So a great documentary to watch about this is the 13th. It's on Netflix, and they talk about the prison school to prison pipeline. So this is what you learn essentially: all education and curriculum starts in Washington D.C. because that's where all of the information comes from. So from Washington D.C., the information is dispersed everywhere to every school system to every education house everything boom the thing is is that although washington dc might be the epicenter of where education is start and finish each state has its own way of teaching and set up mm-hmm. so maybe um this lesson plan might be sent for maryland or maybe this is sent to idaho but maybe idaho doesn't teach this or maybe they do teach this or they do it a different way so there's a, a period where these education systems are bumping heads and they're rejecting it and then they're accepting some so there's not a like set tier to notice where everyone is there's no set way to be able to see if all students everywhere across the united states are on the same education level they're getting the same access to information like there's a lot of confusion going on and it differs from district to district right yeah so like there's a lot of confusion going on and people are focusing so much more on state testing which is another reason why teachers are quitting the school district because they don't give a fuck about teaching the students they want to make sure that on paper everyone can read or write right i can remember growing up and getting a lesson plan and the teacher like okay we're not gonna be able to get to this topic because this is what the standardized test is required of us this is what you need to know to pass this test and it became so focused on passing the state test that it was stressful for students and stressful for teachers it didn't give the students a chance to show the ways that they were intelligent outside of their tests and many students aren't natural test takers aren't good test takers and testing brings anxiety and stress you know what i think it's an excellent thing that you said there because i think that what schools fail to realize is that every student learns differently mm-hmm. like you might be an auditory learning i.e you learn by hearing I might be a visual learner, so I learn by seeing, or a kinesthetic learner where I learn by doing hands-on. So you cannot explain everything to a group of people and expect them to soak and absorb this information in the same way. It just doesn't work like that. Right. I, I just think it's sad. I really do. And then with state testing, it's culturally biased. The way um, that the tests are formatted, the language that's used is catered towards a certain demographic you can see. And even when it comes to like the SAT and the ACT, like the students that I tutor, especially on the English section, I even have a hard time trying to understand. No, you speak English, explain Chris. words. No, it's it's not our English. No, I it's the that. Queen's English. The Queen. Yes. <laughs> but it's just that disconnect that leaves students um, of minority groups at a disadvantage when it comes to state testing and standardized testing. In October of 2021, there were over 2,717,000 African-Americans enrolled in higher education. So that means that these African-American scholars made up 17, 15.7% of all enrollments in higher education. Of that percentage, black women made up 65% of all African-American enrollments in higher education. So how do you interpret this statistic and is there room for improvement? 
I love these statistics. The more black students we can get enrolled in college, the better. And I love it for our black women. I love seeing educated black women. Uh, they thrive. They are the backbone of our community. And I would just recommend and encourage the black men to let's keep up and let's do our part as well. But there's a challenge in this. The enrollment numbers can continue to go up, but we need those retention and those graduation rates to go up as well. Within um, within the number of students getting enrolled, how many of those do we see that actually graduate? Mm. And there's there's certain there's a lot of factors that go into retaining and graduating college black students. Like what type of factors? Financial. Yeah. <laughs> That's one big, big factor. We see a lot of students getting to college, but they don't have the support and the finances needed. So they're working throughout the entire college process. I can remember when I was when it was time to graduate, I asked my dad, I'm like, so did y'all ever like set up a college fund or anything for me? Mm-hmm. And he laughed. <laughs> I'm like, I'm so glad that I knew to kind of do the things that I had to do and get work so hard to get these scholarships and to be able to come to this school and not have to rely on their finances or put them in a situation that wouldn't help the family just for me to get to college, you know? Yeah, I do. I think Michelle Obama said it best when she was talking about it's unfair that black students go to college and they have to use their refund money to help pay their family's rent or pay their mortgage. You, you're you not going to be able. And I know I've been in that position every year I was in school. Like, it's hard to be able to, you know, be on the same level with white people or other minority groups that are financially well off and you come to school or you barely made it to school or you don't have a vehicle or you're not well off compared to everyone else. I remember getting to college and realizing that most of these college students didn't have a job. (laughs) That was a shock to me. Yes. And I would tell my mama and she she didn't believe it. Mm -mm. No, I was lying. (laughs) I was, man, it was, I felt so jealous in a way i'm like i wish i was fortunate enough to not have to work and just focus on school and i wish that for so many of my classmates because coming in especially in the major that i'm in i studied software engineering there's not many of us in the class already so i'm coming into a class of one of few one of two and as the semesters go on they're dropping i'm losing these people Mm -hmm. and that's why i was so fortunate and grateful to have found national society of black engineers once I got into that group and I saw all those people that looked like me, the common struggles we had and the willingness and like the eagerness to see each other succeed and the work we put into each other, it was it was amazing. I don't think I would have been in the position I'm in now or would have succeeded at this school without that organization. I feel the same way about Ideal Woman. Mm-hmm. I feel like Ideal Woman was one of the main reasons why I did end up getting out of school because it held me accountable. Like, I can't not be in school because these bitches is, you know, <laughs> <laughs> they expected me to do shit right. for them. <laughs> I gotta be here. So, like, you gotta get your shit together. And that shit is so felt. I just think that I wish... I wish that we had a better footing or a better, like, I wish as black people we had more money put in for school. I feel like the government should give us money to go to school, period. Mm -hmm. There has to be more resources for our black students. See you. And speaking of resources, 
a way to lighten their financial load, I would heavily encourage black students to look at HBCUs. The cost of an HBCU is 28% less than attending other universities and talk about fostering black students and the care that's needed. That is one place to go. And people may ask me why I didn't choose to attend uh, HBCU because when I got the opportunity to come to Mississippi State for almost free, I looked at Alcorn, I looked at other schools, and they would virtually pay me to go to their school. And I'm like, why would I take that opportunity from another black student who needs that resource? Oh, that's so nice. Like, that's really considerate. Because I swear to God, I wouldn't have thought about a nan or the bitch. Like, I, I knew the position that I put myself in and the work that I did to get to where I am. And it felt, it would have been like easy in a way. I'm not saying that. That the that the education there is different or less than education here, but getting there and the resources that I would have had, I have great resources at Mississippi State as well. Um, I think that because they told me not to go in on the HBCUs because apparently I went in on them about two weeks ago, so I'm mind my manners. Um, we all know that even the resources at the HBCUs are very lackluster. Um, a lot of HBCUs are struggling, like, very badly, specifically in their financial aid department, as well as with housing. So, like, it is good. I like the idea of black people being in areas where they, they can support themselves and build their own camaraderie mm -hmm. and um, uplift each other. But there are pros and cons to both, right? Right. I think for this topic, I would really like to try to understand why black men aren't going to college comma as well as why black men aren't graduating from college once they get in that's a good topic um i feel like how we talked about earlier the system that we're placed in the school system from the beginning it is assigning us a number and we're growing up to either work for someone it's not expected for us to go to college when I was coming up, is a lot of people looked at it like, okay, you going to college? That's what you want to do, like, and and college is is not for everybody, but I do encourage our black men, those that are in college, to finish and to do all that they can to finish. Find your group, find those those people. Like when I came to school, it was very hard initially because the teachers look at you and they aren't expecting you to succeed. The education system that you may have come from in high school may not have set you up to succeed in a public university. We see a lot of underfunding, a lot of uneducated children coming out of the school system that have been passed on. They may have not been able to pass a grade, but they had to make their way through and they finished. And now we expect them to succeed in college. Yes, I agree. I just feel like at what point do black men stop blaming the system and start holding themselves accountable? Um, because it's not just seeing black men in undergrad. I would like to see more black men in postgrad school. Like mm -hmm. I would there not there are not many black men getting obtaining PhDs or masters at all. And I think that's very, very sad. But usually from my personal experience, and I can only speak from mine. Black men are not the best to work with, especially in like educational groups, like sitting down, trying to pull information out of them unless they're extremely extroverted. 
And again, I've come across some amazing black men, but like your regular schmegular Joe or Jamal, I guess you would say in this point, it's like they don't have their own self-ambition for themselves to keep going. Well, I think that has a lot to do with trauma and not having that unpacked, having our emotions bottled up inside, not learning how to express them, not learning how to operate in those spaces that you just mentioned. And that's a disservice that was done to us growing up. And I feel like there's ways to change that. Black men go to therapy. but um, Take that ass to therapy because I keep on telling y'all to. Um, what are more solutions, though? While college is a good option for many people, it isn't for everyone. So what are your thoughts on black students obtaining trades or joining the military? I think that's great. Um, Any way that I see black people trying to succeed and trying to better their situation is progress to me. And especially with the guys I know getting their CDLs, like Yo, them big niggas <laughs> driving trucks. They are getting in them trucks and they going. And I'm so good. I'm so glad to see it. Like yep, they it, got baby mamas in every state. Love that they for them young men. Riding in the trucks with them. Yes, with, with, going on the trips too. I know. I done been in a uh, a truck before. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> you down in, in, I went. I was not. Oh, we did stop oh. at Egypt, Mississippi. It was a nice chicken wing place down okay, there. Okay. Yeah, down in the valley where the girls get naked. <laughs> Yes, but vocational schools, training, uh, mechanics, licensing, all of that, I feel like that is very necessary. If you know that your path is not college, you have to find something to do. You have to find a way to make a way. You see how we didn't tell these niggas to get up and join the police force? (laughs) (laughs) Become a firefighter, baby. Yeah, Yeah, we love it for y'all. Um, I don't think that trades are forced enough on black people. Like, mm-hmm. um, I always we have this conversation when we think about Booker T. Washington and W. E. B. Du Bois, oh, and but W. E. B. Du Bois focused on education a lot. Talented tenth, um, top ten percent in the black community, they're gonna be the most educated, mm-hmm. but the ninety percent are left with nothing. Then you got Booker T. That's like y'all niggas need to get a trade. You need to work with your hands and are better skilled with your hands. And when you're like that, it doesn't require much intellect but it does take work ethic in order to to be able to maintain a trade and that that is my question for a lot of black men because i don't know if they have the work ethic Mm, it has to be instilled and then i will say in my experience my high school did a good job at that we had heinz community college across the street and they had several vocational training programs and even within the school we had it split into like academies that you were interested in Mm -hmm. whether it was stem whether it was health and administration or arts and sciences i was in teachers academy really yes i wanted to be a little teacher okay i don't do that shit no more (laughs) (laughs) it's not the most attractive field but we do need black teachers it's crazy though you said attractive and black teachers it was this black teacher online just so happened to be thick as all outdoors you can't help that and oh. they was on her ass because everything she wore was deemed inappropriate mm. that's some bullshit she couldn't help that she was blessed with with with, with the front end and the back end and, and, and what they wanted her to wear a, a garbage bag yes they mad because her booty looked like jesus and satan arguing back there that's all it is <laughs> That's what it was. I will, you know, haters gonna hate. Mm-hmm. But I do 
I don't know as much about black people joining the military. My best friend is in the military right now. Some of my best friends have left. And we all, I feel like it's black people, have our own reservations about black people going to the military. This scene in like the Double V campaign from the 1970s. Mm -hmm. So like, I still feel like that is a great way to legacy build is black people the military is a great way to be able to set yourself up and go but i don't think the military is the greatest place for black people hmm. uh someone actually suggested that i go to the military and i was shocked when they when you they look like you you look you would look nice in the military a lot of people say that like i have that demeanor Face. and like that that structure that would do well in the military but i'm like no it's not my my lane and and even when we talk about military, I want to talk about hoop dreams and, oh, <laughs> and sports. Yeah. Chris got on my podcast said, you motherfucking niggas can't rap. Put no. the pen down. Then niggas said, you need to dust them motherfucking Jordans and tie them up, throw them in front of y'all closet. Y'all can't hoop. I'm, I'm not going to knock anybody on the way and the path that they choose to succeed, but I feel like heavily pushing a child to sports and letting that be their only way out is damaging mm. and it's scary like getting to college is the goal and playing sports i don't think that was the goal you know and i think it's crazy to see niggas drop out of college to pursue the nfl or the NAA, the, the basketball shit with in the nba <laughs> Yeah. Uh-huh. without a degree with it they gonna you fuck school we ball out like i remember coming up i played sports in high school i played football and basketball i started and i saw the recruits that the coaches would bring in they would bring in community colleges and and i was basically telling the coaches like i'm not gonna play for anybody unless it's an ivy league school because i know what i want out of this experience i'm my chances of Going to the NFL and the NBA are slim compared to my chances of graduating college with financial support through what I'm doing. Well, I said, you, them niggas, they not going to go to therapy, but they going to release all their trauma on their pen and paper. Mm -hmm. Them niggas be singing their heart out on the mic. Mm -hmm. They they really do be releasing and fighting demons in that studio. And, you know, as much as I love it for my young men, um, they got to let this shit go. You know what the Bible say? The Bible say when I was a child, I acted like a child. <laughs> and um, now that I'm grown, I no longer think like that or something like that to that effect. But we do have programs at community college, audio technical engineers, we, them producers. We need those. And there are programs to foster that talent. They don't think like that. Mm -hmm. You need producers in order to make music. You're going to make way more money as a producer than you would as a rapper. And true. to be honest, you probably wouldn't even get fucked over the way people get fucked over as rappers or singers to a label. Mm -hmm. They don't think about shit like that. And I really hate that. But you know what? They're not educated to think like that. Right. I think that we have to put that goal in mind if you're going to play sports and you want to go to college and play sports you have dreams of the nfl you have to make sure you get that college degree in that process like that's that's the point of going to college i feel like right? it is yeah they say you call you was a student athlete that's why student go first correct you was a student first and i see a lot of people put themselves in in bad situations chasing those dreams them motherfuckers be doing the same thing with greek life they'll go greek and drop out of school 
Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Yep. And they will. What academic areas do black students succeed in and how can we play to those strengths? Um, I'd say all academic areas because we are the most intelligent and the most advanced on this planet. Yeah, that was the only answer I was going to accept, <laughs> like, actually. The, what? I, you know what? Fascinatingly enough, um, two black girls from some part of America, but they are some nigger children. They just figured out some type of scientific, scientific like mathematic equation that has stumped math- mathematicians for like over 200 years. Really? They in high school right now and they, they going to get some type of award for this shit because bitches is smart. It takes a special kind of student to outsmart 2,000 years of mathematicians. At St. Mary's Academy, they have two. It's an unparalleled feeling, honestly, because there's just nothing like it, being able to do something that people don't think that young people can do. Kelsey Johnson and Nakia Jackson just give a presentation at the American Mathematical Society's annual Southeastern Conference. They say they've proven that Pythagoras' theorem can be proved without circular trigonometry. And it might not surprise you to hear that they were the only high schoolers in the room. You don't see kids like us doing this. It's usually like you have to be an adult to do this. Now, if you're anything like me, math is not your best subject. So we're both going to need a little refresher on this one. Now, it starts with trigonometry. And trigonometry is based on Pythagorean theorem. A squared plus B squared equals C squared. That all sounds familiar, right? Now, what they did and that they said couldn't be done is that Pythagorean theorem could not be proved using trigonometry. That is what is known as circular logic. An idea can't prove itself. But what Kelsey and Nakia did is that they were able to prove Pythagoras' theorem without using circular logic, but they did use trigonometry. And if you're wondering how two high school seniors figure something like this out, well, it all starts with the teachers who challenge them to do the impossible. Yeah, like our slogan is no excellence without hard labor, so they definitely push on that. And we have really great teachers. And even if you don't understand their math, it's easy to see that with the right push, students can do the impossible. Sam Winstrom, Eyewitness News. <laughs> I would just also like to say... We got another slide. <laughs> Sorry, Mom and Dad and Warren Eastern. You did this the best you could. I just didn't get it, okay? Well, Kelsey and Akia did get it. They're set to graduate from St. Mary's Academy this spring. They weren't ready to announce where they'll go to school, but said they plan to ch- chase their careers and environmental engineering and biochemistry again good for them you know what i also heard somebody say something so powerful they were talking about the movie hidden figures and they were talking about how all computers are rooted in black women because black women were the ones who programmed and like did all this shit. Black women are computers. Literally, before this technology, computers were people. And, and they were black women. women. Yes. They were behind those boards, behind those papers, pushing them numbers and getting the calculations that we needed to get to the moon and to get to space. Let's get back on topic because I love my people and my, <laughs> my little people, they got to get it together. So like... Should we be pushing pushing children to STEM? I feel like STEM is where all the money is going to be in the next like decade. Science, technology, engineering, and mathematics. But I don't. I think little black boys would do great in STEM areas. They love fucking with shit, love Mm -hmm. building shit and tearing shit down. That's where I found my love for it. I I knew I loved computers early on. My grandma had a 
a desktop, an old Windows desktop in her house. And I just used to love to play solitaire on it and just to get on there and tinker with stuff. And my dad owned a junkyard and there were just several parts and just stuff to put my hands on and build and manipulate. And I'm like, this is this is where I want to be. I can remember getting into high school, having in my mind, like, I want to work on computers. I got in this class called Computer Technology and Keyboard. Mm. I'm thinking I'm about to learn, like, the ins and outs of computing, how to maybe program and do certain stuff. I get in there, we learn the Microsoft Word. Yeah. Excel. Yeah. <laughs> we learning stuff like this. So I was severely disappointed. But I had a classmate, I believe his name was Michael, and he was one of my white counterparts. And he was he knew how to like make little programs on Notepad. So we would sit in class and we would get in trouble for this, but we would write little programs. He was teaching me how to do this. We got in so much trouble for it, but it felt good. Yeah, I know it did. It felt good to be defiant and to know this is what I want to do and this school is not serving me in that way. But luckily, a few years later, once the program started rolling in, they introduced a computer program. But we made, we built apps, we built games. I was one of the first students. I think it was three of us in that class. And it was, it was taught by one of the high school football teachers. <laughs> I mean, high school football coaches. Did she, so that, I mean, it was, he gave us as much as he could and much as he knew how. And I really appreciated that. And, but I just knew the level of access that I needed to be successful in college. And it, it kind of showed. Mm-hmm. Once I got into those first programming classes, I was intimidated. I was scared because all of my white counterparts had been in programs where they knew how to code. They'd been in programs where they knew more than I did, and I kind of felt inadequate. But I'm just so thankful that I was, like I said earlier, able to find National Society of Black Engineers. And that's how we have to play to those strengths of students, especially on a college campus, we have to encourage our students to study together, make the success of black and Latino students a priority on mm-hmm. campus. And I think Mississippi State does a lot of that here. They they straight. They they I they cool. <laughs> um I do like what you said and it reminded me of this quote, children learn by doing dangerous things carefully. And I think there's a great example um, of what how you learned and how things started to pique your curiosity. And I think that's very interesting. Um, I know for a fact that I would like to see more black men in fashion design and merchandising. Yes. Niggas, we now niggas, we tired of these goddamn hoodies and t-shirts. Now we do want you to learn how to get um behind that sewing machine and get to work maybe get a little arthritis in them fingers to do you good yes, like it's not just enough to print a logo on a t-shirt we and love the hustle it's the hustle there but we need the creativity behind it yeah like i would love to see more black men actually learn how to sew or crochet or like just do anything or even just learn like actual merchandising behind fashion black women were the computers when you heard of computer back then in the 60s, it was referencing a mathematical genius, which were black women. They were called hidden figures. Okay, If you haven't seen the movie Hidden Figures, you need to watch it. So these black women worked at NASA. I'm talking about a slew of them. They were responsible for all the calculations that made all the projections for splashdowns, launch windows, uh, uh, max-Q arcs, and everything else that takes to get into orbit. It was all done by black women. Uh, because they were mathematicals and are still mathematical geniuses. It's just uh, a piece of history that needs to be noted, that needs to be known. 
<clears throat> and the reason why is because a lot of black people think that we've never accomplished nothing and, we, and, we're, and we're, we're nothing. We've never been anything. When in true reality, our genius has been used to create this entire planet because of our capability, our incredible capability of creativity through conscious thought and our ability to extrapolate and think abstractly to create new ways of doing things. I also think that black women would do better in marketing. I feel like a lot of black men get into like business and business management and marketing and shit. And they don't, they're not equipped with like leadership skills, mm, leadership and communication skills. That's very true. But I do love seeing black men in psychology fields, mm -hmm. like to become therapists. This shit six. I ain't going to hold you. You know, that was my first passion. Like that's what I wanted to major in. But my mama said, you're not going to make no money, especially here. This yes, you know what, but there's such an opportunity to make money here because there's no there are none, and Mississippi has the highest amount of mentally ill people than any other state in the union. Yeah, and man, once I saw COVID came, and I'm like, that would have I would have been in the right field mm -hmm. <laughs> at that time because we need those resources, especially seeing our own face on the other side of that screen, on the other side of that table talking to us and being able to relate to us and express those emotions like i have a black therapist and that he's my saving grace i like, love it right. you sitting up here talking to me remind me that niggas only go to school for kinesiology mm. <laughs> it, it's not enough niggas in school for the arts i would love love to see more men black men in school for literature english now it's only one black guy i know now in school for history shout out to xavier and like i would love to see more black men dabble into the arts because like when niggas like um photography and shit like that instead yes. of just making it a side hustle like for real getting like your certifications and actually going to school for it and making it a passion and not just a hobby or a way to make money mm -hmm. i would love to see that and black men in education as well yes we need more black male teachers we need those faces and we role need... models yeah yes and that's part of my passion is educating uh coming up and knowing that i was an advanced student i always turned around and helped those around me like soon as i got it and that that helped me learn better too mm -hmm. as soon as i was able to get it and turn around and teach it that's how you the, learn that's how you learn and it didn't make sense for me to succeed and everybody else around me that looked like me not i was on the football team we would be at practice we would come in the school after practice and i would tutor them I was 10th grade. They were seniors in my algebra class. And we had to get to that game Friday night. Mm. And they had to play. Mm. And they had to pass. So Not what did I do? Read. Cypher we so wide. So I think black educators, black male educators are very needed. They are. Are black men afraid to become educators because of like society and like, like gender roles? That could definitely play a part. I think a lot of black men are afraid to become teachers because a people would assume that they're gay or people would assume that they're pedophiles or pedophile Jason. But when you think about it, black men are the protectors. We are the, the nurturers. We are the best fathers when we're active. We are, we are that protector and that, and that loving factor. I, I don't think we would miss the mark and, and becoming teachers if we were. See, but niggas hear teachers, black men hear teachers, and they hear basketball coach. Mm. They hear football coach. Mm. 
that's teaching to them. Yeah. They won't get in there and learn no science and teach them little babies no arithmetic. They want to go back to reading, writing, and arithmetic. And they want to hear that black people are good. And they want to hear that white people are good. Yes. Mm-hmm. Rheumatic and arts and the writings and such. They they want to go out there and play with the kids. Yeah. Which is good, too. Yeah, I guess. Love that for y'all black men. <laughs> we just want y'all to succeed. We brainstorming with y'all. Right. Yes. Amen. Shout out to the slaves. Yeah, shout out to the slaves. You feel me? Shout out to Harriet Tubman. That shout out to the real nigga. Shout out to the real niggas. And shout out again to all those people who hate my guts. Y'all are doing a justice and an effort to the world. Keep breaking these men down one at a time. You are obsessed and sick. And we are back with the big black shout out, the blackest shout out in the world. The big black shout out is an opportunity to help circulate the black dollar back into our communities and for audience members to explore black owned hidden gems. So, Christopher, who would you like to shout out today? Very firstly, I would like to shout out my own business, Green Solutions Learning Center, LLC. I established this business upon graduating high school um, well, I started the hustle of it after graduating. It was official business in 2020. And I provide ACT workshops, ACT prep, and one-on-one -on -one tutoring. I've done this for a few years now, and I've seen tremendous growth in students. My last student that I had, she was struggling in math. She was getting a consistent 14, and her parents were taking her to different courses and different things. But when she started working with me, we locked in for twice a week, maybe three weeks, and her score went from 14 to 20. Okay, shout out to you then, Chris. And I won't say her name, but she... Shout out to that young lady, baby. We love that for you. You yeah. get it how you get it. Yes, and I'm very excited to see my business grow. I am certified in the ACT basics and in ACT math. I want to continue getting my certifications in each area and be able to hire other tutors and to spread this knowledge and this access to as many students as I can. That's beautiful. And shout out to you again, Chris. Thank you. Thank you. You can find my business on Facebook. Go and like it. Green with an E at the end. Solution Learning Center, LLC. Y'all heard it here. Green Solution Learning Center, LLC. I got a few more shout outs. I'd like to shout out Big Mama's Kitchen in Starkville for providing that good soul food. Baby, I who is Big Mama? Big Mama, yeah. She uh, cooks down on MLK. She has a spot down there. Um, she cooks some of the best fried catfish, fried chicken, macaroni, greens, baked beans. I I usually, I used to go to MacArthur all the time. Mm -hmm. That's a great resource. Yeah, they was campus. down there playing though. It sounded like Big Mama be putting both her feet up in that pot. Man, what? What? Big Mama gonna get you right. Yeah. Big Mama's kitchen. That's on Facebook. Yeah, shout out to Big Mama because many don't burn no chicken. Mm -hmm. I know that's right. Mississippi soul food. And if you are some of my people from Port Gibson, Vicksburg area, look into Shamika Shorter. She cooks as well. SLS Kitchen. In Hermanville. Well, shout out to Hermanville. Shout out to Shaliqua and the, 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 all the knives in the kitchens. We got to keep these people and these kids fed. Yes. Mm -hmm. That's how you keep a man, too. Look. Okay. You better ask somebody. <laughs> I, my last couple of shout outs um, will be towards my creative friends. I know a lot of people are looking for graduation photo shoots, wedding photo shoots, birthday photo shoots. 
get at these people that I'm about to list here. D Lola Nicole on Instagram. She is a creative director. She does great work. She's an amazing, talented creative that I know and love. She fostered some of my creative abilities and helped me in a lot of ways. Um, Mr. Dale Shotted, D-A-L-E Shotted on Instagram. He's an outstanding photographer. And Mr. Dale Ivy, his Instagram is underscore I-V-Y-V-I-E-W-S, Ivy Views. Please hit them up with all your photo shoot needs yes and we love the black creators here at the afrocentric podcast shout out to those creators as well now if you have a black owned business in your and or you know someone with a black owned business make sure you are emailing me at the afrocentric podcast that's afrocentric podcast at gmail.com Please forgive me for any sins in which I committed those. I know I meant those I don't know, Lord. Lord, please forgive me for beating this bitch ass today, Lord. Lord, please forgive me for thinking about beating her ass again, Lord. Please rebuke all these demons that's in this house, Lord. I pray it's not really you, necessary. Um, and we are back. Born again sinners here again at the Afrocentric Church of God and Christ, here located in Starkville, Mississippi, the garden spot of the world. Yes, and for those who do not know, the altar call is a final segment for any podcast, and me and Christopher are just here interceding on your behalf. Yes, we is here praying on bended knees. Matter of fact, happy Ramadan. We've been praying seven times a day headed northeast. Amen. And this here is just an opportunity to let my leaders and listeners know that I'm here praying and fasting and hoping on your behalf. Um, Today, we're just going to shoot up a little prayer to the Father on behalf of the Donald Trump and him going to jail sometime this week lord lord all we ask is that you put him up under the jail lord lord please lord and actually we we got a few more requests uh sweet mother jesus um who died on the cross or gonna die on the cross next month i was wondering lord if you could get a nice picture of donald trump in either an orange jumpsuit or a set of handcuffs and or another picture of him in a set of diapers some depends that would really you know put more trust in you lord we really need that down here on earth father um god no bell no bell just raise hell in jesus name we pray amen thank you again christopher for being here with me in the studio today thank you for having me yes this was a lovely conversation hopefully we got the opportunity to open up some people's eyes and minds to looking at things a little differently i pray so yeah because we is praying for the souls of black children um is there anything that you would like to say to the black community before i let you go this afternoon uh firstly i love you um let's take care of each other Let's stop this domestic violence. That's one thing that really hurts my heart. All the stories and all the the the, the tragic ending endings of domestic violence. Let's please protect each other and and have each other's back. Men, women, 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 men, men. Let's all do our part. That's really nice. I hope y'all heard that. 
keep your hands and feet and other objects to yourself. Anything else you want to say? Um, I'm graduating soon. Y'all send me a graduation gift. Tell them niggas your cash app. <laughs> My cash app is Chris Green with an E27. Please support. Yeah, yes. please support. He finna graduate, y'all. That baby need that scrilla. We need it. All that cash money shit. <laughs> All right, so I want to thank you again for choosing to be Afrocentric, Chris. And I want to thank all my listeners. Thank you so much for choosing to be Afrocentric today. And please remember that Black Lives Matter. Make sure that we are listening and protecting Black women and children. And the only thing that you must do in this lifetime is what? Be Black and die in this bitch. And here at the Afrocentric Podcast, we're just civilized people having civilized conversations. We'll talk to you soon. Bye-bye. Okay, I'll bring it down a notch.